Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology, and everything that's good in this world. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. I'm Sue Uniman. I'm Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us today is Ita Murphy. How are you doing, Ita? I'm good. I'm really good, thank you. Lovely. Ita is the CEO of Syzygy UK. She's also a strategic advisory board member to the Girls Network. And prior to running Syzygy, she was head of media at Lloyd's Banking Group. So let's kick off. How's COVID been for Syzygy? Um, it's been it's been interesting. Um, I think we've all learned a lot. That's yeah. that's for sure. Um, I I'm we're very we're very geared up for flexible working. We're quite an outcome based organisation. I have a loathing. I think Sue and I have been in the business such a long time. Have a loathing of micromanaging and you know looking over people's shoulders all about outcomes and obviously if you keep everybody in touch with what you need and if you need a break or you want to do whatever that's fine so we've we've really people have adapted to that we found that very easy uh people are working very hard i think as it goes on the well-being is uh kicking in you know the um the, the kind of team culture i mean that worries me what will happen to the culture we've we've had about five people join us in during lockdown so that's interesting we have weekly calls and we make them put on their video and there's a little bit going to the office but you know we're to and froing on that one so that's a bit weird um business-wise it's been actually pretty good for us because i think what clients are doing some people are taking this time to reflect and they realize that they need to do something different to have a different business model post-covid Mm. And we're all about transformation at pace. And um, we've worked with some of your clients. You know, we work we work within WPP, with part of WPP. And that's going pretty well for us, that we're finding people are reflective and they want to work with a company that helps them gear up for the future. We've also been extremely lucky in that we work for a pharma company. And so we've done lots of projects for them during this and also online food delivery and online payments. So we're actually, you know, we're, we're in sectors that that are fortunate and, you know, adapted to this type of environment. So, so quite well. Um, just on an anecdote, I got a really bad COVID in, I got a, a super attack in March and it didn't hit my lungs. So I was doing okay. But then it set off this reactive arthritis. So I turned into an old oh. lady. Literally, oh. my knees doubled in size and yeah. I was hobbling. I couldn't walk. And then my, hand, my hands turned into claws. And so I had three weeks of, of living my future 80-year-old. 80, 80 yeah. <laughs> so that was that was. And, then it, pa- and then it passed? Or? So I, I had it for three months. Oh, so uh, the level of exhaustion was, was quite, was something else. So, um, but yeah. So then I, then I went into a post-COVID glow of I've got the antibodies. <laughs> and, then, and then they said, oh, they don't last. Yeah, you can get it again. <laughs> yeah, great. Oh, I'm a bit irritated oh. about that. I'm sorry to hear that. Glad nice. you're You're okay now? Yeah, yeah. It's good. good, good. Looks, she looks glowing, everyone. <laughs> so, I mean, we sort of began to touch on it, but what are the unforeseen benefits of COVID for the business and also for you personally then? Well, I think people love the flexibility. I mean, who needs, you know, I commute three hours a day. Who needs to spend 15 hours of my life um, on a train? So I think people love the, it can exercise before work. Um, there's more, there's just more time to have a life. Um, you know, like I'm going to the cinema this evening. I would never do that. You know, it, it's, so I think there's, there's that. 
What, what I do find interesting, I was listening, I was on a Wackle talk, and one of the speakers, I can't remember where, where she said, she said that we do, a study has shown that we do less than, just less than three hours proper serious work when we're at work. I and completely what I, agree with that. I yes. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would call it, four, I, I reckon we've got four hours in us, but that's it. But, well, so three hours. And then when I think about the hours that we're doing at home, it's way more than that because there are no distractions unless you make yourself go. So it's exhausting. Mm. It really is exhausting. And and I, I went out, I had to go to the optician yesterday and just the joy of going out for more than an hour at lunchtime just to get away from this bloody Zoom and, you know, and the level of concentration. So I do think everyone's, it's sped up. You know, the, the downtime's gone, uh, the softer side yeah. of the culture and yeah. how we share has gone. But um, it's also been immensely efficient, and I mean that in a good way. I think I'm having more conversations with people than I would normally mm-hmm. because I think we're all making the effort more. You know, we have company meetings weekly, there are team meetings all the time, management meetings were twice a week and now once a week. My one-to-ones are more regular. I think we value the importance of connecting probably more than the casual way we did it before. My friend Jack, who's in HR, said um, one thing that people forget is that there's so many sides to work that beyond the task is when, yeah. when you're at home, you've lost all those things, you know, going to the water, getting your water, breakfast, going to BMS, go to the gym, space walking between meetings. It's all gone. It's now just totally focused on the task. Mm. That is totally exhausting. Like, yeah. it's exactly it is. It's awesome. But I think, I think it's about us now consciously finding the right balance and, mm-hmm. and, and working out social capital that you talked about. How do we recreate that? How do we recreate that balance that seemed to happen automatically in the office during the day? We all have to be mindful of it, I think. Mm. I'm going mm. to take you back. Now, yeah. Ethan and I first met in the 1980s. And I remember very, very, very clearly, we were obviously children. We were very <laughs> young children. And I remember very clearly when I first met Eater, actually. Uh-oh. Um, and I guess it was, must have been, if not your first, second job, first job. So you were straight out of uni, I guess. And what I didn't know is that you did a degree in zoology. Yeah. And you, so you, you did a degree in zoology. You presumably wanted to be a zoologist when you grow up and that and now look how the habit that <laughs> and now look run I, us through <laughs> run me through i come from my family every female in my family my immediate family mothers sisters and aunt, cousins aunts everybody in my family are nurses that's what i knew and i loved biology when i got to uni i wanted to dump the plants and Really with better, probably with, if I would, if I were graduating now, my daughter's just gone off to, is studying, uh, physio, uh, to be a physiotherapist. And I probably would have moved into that field, you know, something, I love physiology, I love the body, and I find it fascinating. So that was my interest. And I did look into labs and working in labs and realised that actually I'd just be staring down a microscope with people in white suits and that didn't seem very appealing. And, um, I don't really know how I did it. I suppose I got on the milk round. Remember those? Um, when we were at uni, you'd go on the milk round. And I just sort of started to look at different things. I, I don't think there was any pivotal 
moment, I just decided to reflect, try something different, just see if I could do something different. And it, it kind of brings me to girls' network a bit because I had no role models. My role models were nurses. And I never thought about being a doctor. And I said it to my sister, who's married to a doctor. She went, oh, you don't want to be a doctor. No, no woman would be married to a doctor because doctors work 90 hours a week. So I get these very absolutes. You know, you've got very absolute. Um, I didn't know to think differently. So perhaps with a different role model, I could have pursued something. But it was it was it was kind of I knew I didn't really want to be a nurse. And this just seemed a kind of a, a segue into this sort of sales and then agencies. And it's Did enabled. Did you start in sales? In sales start yes. In yeah. I had a, I had a terrible job. My first job. I mean, it was dressed up. It was dressed up as, uh, you know, on the milk crowd, a graduate scheme. I mean, yeah. what a laugh. My first job was, um, coal, I worked for a, a, a publication called Engineering Capacity and it literally was an, a, a magazine of ads. And my job, my job was to cold call, either on the phone or, or face to face, engineering companies between London and Birmingham. So on a Monday, I go into the office, I pick up the equivalent of the yellow pages. I would cold call engineers and I'd say what I, what I was and I would book an appointment to get Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays appointments, come back to the office on Friday. And basically my job was to sell their ad space and I would walk through factory doors where there was no entrance they were just sort of where the lorries went through where you get the plastic sheets going in your face yeah. i would stand up there'd be pin-ups on the wall so when you went to what was what is now caro but was then called yes. tmd yeah. that wasn't that wasn't as boisy as the environment you were used oh, to i mean it was, it, was, that was boisy. it was awful but my second job i worked the second job, it was like being an ab fab because it was Carlton magazine. So I worked for Woman's World, now defunct. And that was, you know, we got roses on Valentine's and chat. And we, we used to go Carlton down. Carlton magazine's to, listeners was famous for the glamour of the women who worked there, basically. Yeah, not As me, in, but yeah. All blondes, all glamorous, all yeah. really intelligent, bright, yes. capable women. Not sure that was what got them into the media buying departments yeah. at the time. But. How I got in. Um, and I love that. I did that for a year. And that was the antithesis. I mean, it was ad fab. We were always down the, the wine bar drinking champagne. It was, yeah. it was a bit vogue I guess. Yeah. So, so that was. Legendary. And then, and then TMD were, um, George Craig and all these characters were Nigel Brecken were yeah. my agency that I serviced. So I went in there. Shout out to Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> I went, I went in there and Steve Tindall and it was. It's a bit like being in my brother's bedroom. I mean, they were rude, <laughs> they were arrogant, they tried to embarrass me. And the thing is, they did, they tried all of this, like, what are you doing in here? I got all that. And, and because I've had quite a upbringing with my brothers, I turn, I just went into, you're not going to bully me mode. So I thought, you, 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 sit down, shut up. You know, and I was kind of aggressive and all this. Yes. And Nigel extended his hand and said, Welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. And that was it. It was, so I joined and I had, I had a ball. It was great fun. It was great fun. And it wasn't, yeah, I mean, they had a reputation of gorillas and calculators, but it was fun. It was, it was fine. They were fun gorillas and calculators. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was fine. I didn't, I didn't, can't say I experienced anything there that wasn't, wasn't, was actually, you know, you looked out for yourself though. Yeah, I knew how to take it. And I was gonna give it back harder. harder. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. And so, okay, take us through it. So GMD and then Mindshare? Then I went to, no, then I went to GMB&B. So that would be Starcom now. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my first foray into a full service. So I love that. That was um, Jim Marshall. Because oh, I, I was, I was there. Hippoglooplet, were you? Yeah, when I was I there, I'm rubbish. Sure. 88. I would have been about 88. Oh, well, I was there in 80. I'm sure I was there in 80. But I went to the media centre. I was in the media centre. So oh. Philippa Brown, Pippa Glucklick, um, we'll Richard on. Law. We'll the listeners aren't that interested in <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I did a full service. That was great. Loved it. Became media centre. Loved it, loved it. Then I went to... Um, work with, God, the names, Phil Giorgiardi's and... Um... <laughs> you gave me my first boss, my no, first job, w- Phil. Not Walker, it was pre-Walker, Initiative, yeah. it was Initiative Media, Thanks. sorry, and I, yeah, so I did Initiative Media, worked with Phil, etc. And then, then I went to Mindshare. So I did 12 years at Mindshare, last seven as MD, and I you left. Were in- were you, that's when you joined the WPP family. Yes, so so joined it back then in about 2000. Yeah, and then um, 2012, I left. I was really fed up, worn out, had enough. They were sick of me. I was sick of them. Um, but I was interested in people development, so I was doing um, coaching. I, was, I learned to be a proper. Pro- I trained to be a professional coach, a business coach, and I was really enjoying that. So I left in 2012, set up my own business, and I was coaching, I was training, and I enjoyed it. It was, it was, I really needed, I really needed about three years out of this industry. I needed, I needed I mean, a break. you've been full on, you've been Wackle president, we should yes. say as well. Yes. Uh, done, done your time there. Yes. And I guess, I don't know if it's relevant, but I'm the main wage earner. My husband and I did a role reversal. And, so and I, very, um, much, very early on. Very point, you were very pioneering. I think it might early. be the first woman that I probably knew that that whose yeah. whose husband was was. Uh, and it was it was a funny it was a funny time as well because I um yeah I mean I we were we were mothers at a time when I asked for a four day week and I was told your career will stall and you're nailing your colours to the mast and you know it's it's over for you basically if you want to work four days. And I, I was I was warned off taking longer than three months for my first maternity <laughs> I took six my first. Oh, and I was told, well, <clears throat> let's talk about your promotion if you come back. I mean, you won't come back. They never thought. I'd yeah, come no, back. I think there was a lot of assumptions. Yeah, a lot of assumptions. Uh, it was just was it, not the yeah. norm. And it's certainly a uh, year certainly wasn't the norm. As it is no, 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 no. I took four months for my second month. But yeah, so. um where are we? So it's really, yeah, so it was, it's, it so you was, needed a break. By 2012, you needed a break. And, so and I did, and I did a lot of pitching. When I was at Mindshare, I did a lot of pitching. I, and, and when you're working, I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous hours. I mean, I look at it now and I think, God, I was mad, but never mind. I think I'm getting the, I'm reaping the rewards of, of that work. And so, so I had a break and I absolutely loved it. It was amazing. And then I did some contracting work, which was fantastic. So I was head of media at Lloyd's, like I said, for a stint. Then I worked at News UK, which was amazing. I did a maternity cover, which I loved. And I set up the client team. And I absolutely loved that. And then went back to, to Lloyd's as head of media. 
for a stint. And, and then this came up. So, and it's been fab. I love it. So what do you say, just to back to the thought of the question, I know we've spent a lot of time on this one question. Doesn't, none of it sounds that planned. Sounds like yeah. you thought, am I enjoying <laughs> what I'm doing? Am I doing it well? Now, what can I move on to next? The only thing I planned, I, I kind of was aware of this as I was going through it. I'd always say, what is my boss doing? What are they doing? I always wanted to know what they were doing. And I was trying to take the lower parts of what they were doing away from them. And when I got to a point where I didn't feel I was learning, I'd say to them, I'm not learning anymore. I would give them a chance to to give me something new. And then I would, the second time I said, I'm not learning anymore, I would leave. So I always stayed for long enough to, to, yeah. to, to give them a chance to respond. And then when I knew that I'd hit a plateau, and I, I used to say it was a bit like walking stairs. I'd take a step, I'd go, I'd, I'd go flat for a while to get used to it, yeah, to get comfortable, yeah. and then I'd ask for more stretch. And if I, I could, didn't want to be on the flat for too long yeah. before I moved on. But no, nothing was planned. Nothing. <laughs> That's super interesting because we we see a lot of people with plans. We talk, we've talked about this before, haven't we? So they have plans and they've got really strict targets of titles and money that they want to hit within three, five years, yeah. and it, it just ends up with frustration. It, it always ends up in frustration that they don't hit it, or when they do hit it, that they need they the next like thing. It. They don't like yeah. it exactly. Um, and actually. The person that they were five years ago wanted something very different to what they want now as well. If I if, if I go back to when I was you know, 28, no kids, and what I want now, it's very, 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 very different. But, but for me, I think the main driver, it had to be interesting. Was I learning? Was it interesting? And I think if you do that, you won't go far wrong. But also, you were, you had your work-life blend. Yeah. And I assume now you're saying you're, so this is, is this your youngest who's just gone off to? No, my eldest. They're, they're eldest. both gone. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, 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 I'm empty nester. I don't even have any pets anymore. Which, which is another phase, actually. Yeah. Then. yeah. And it's not something that people talk about very much, but it's, um, it's, I, it's, uh, it, I, I think, I think it would be good to talk about it more. And I think it becomes, it's a time for another reinvention. Um, mm. and and that's what I'm what I wanted to say to you in case you don't ask me this yeah I wanted to say to you that what I noticed about myself is that I never wanted the top job I never felt confident enough to take the top yeah. job and I don't know why I had a lot of imposter syndrome growing up um or, or at work not growing up at work yeah and probably so you know, those boys yeah, and when, when someone's, I, I sometimes get asked and things and they go, who's your mentor? I think, I didn't have a mentor. I mean, you didn't, you got mentor. It was, it was. There, was, there were no mentors. There were very, very few role models. And the women that were enrolled, you wouldn't necessarily. Exactly. Plan your life exactly. to be like that. Because. And I, I always struggle when people say to me, you know, when you started out, who was your role model? It's yeah. kind of like you, you, you made it up yourself. You made it up as you were going along. Yeah. And, um, keep forgetting where I'm going um Sorry. So the question I want you to ask me so so, so, no, no, so you so yes so, you were saying you never so, wanted the top job but you I have never it now. felt I never felt I could mm. and when the headhunter talked to me about this job it was really really interesting how I had to manage myself yeah I happened to see a TED talk and this woman whoever it was she said um be brave not perfect 
And that just absolutely, so I wrote that down in capital letters, just literally before I had this call with this headhunter, in capital letters. Oh, let's all write it down. Be brave, not perfect. (laughs) I really, because I guess that's my insecurity is manifest itself by being a perfectionist, not good enough, imposter syndrome. I realise that's insecurity. So I wrote that down and I looked at the brief um, for Syzygy CEO and what I wanted to say was, oh, I can't be a CEO. And I want this person yeah. to say, oh, but you can. And what I, what was great about the brief is the brief actually, I thought, you know what? It's just running Unilever. I mean, I did that. It's just got a few extra words on it. So yeah. I lowered, I lowered the kind of, you know, I lowered, I took this, I took the kind of fear out of it, out of the brief and kind of removed the title. The next thing I did is, when he spoke to me and he said CEO, and I was tempted to say, but I've never been a CEO. Yeah. Um, I zipped, I meant, I visually, you know, mutely to myself, I oh, zipped my mouth. So powerful. Yeah. I just zipped my mouth. Mm. And I said to myself, having been a coach, I said to myself, Eater, why don't you just go along, keep going along through the process, yeah. and when they decide, or if they decide, you're not right for them, nothing's lost. That's it. And that's the only way I could do it was I was pretending that I was going for this job interview and and you know what it's dead straightforward I don't find and I, I look back and I think why do people like A, B and C previous CEOs make such a big deal out of it now I know Syzygy <laughs> is small I know yeah. it's small but it has it has been in a different but, but, but do you know what it also begs the question is this one of the reasons why there's only four women CEOs of the FTSE 100? Is this why there's only 25 CEOs of the Fortune 500 US yeah. top companies? And I, and I, because I women know. are talking themselves out of yes. the world. Yes, but, but I literally, I literally, again, only a small company, but I literally will spend half an hour making decisions about something that I know my previous CEO would talk about for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I think, how could you have spent so long? I, mean, <laughs> I just, I'm a bit incredulous. That's the driver in you, Isa. <laughs> but, I, but also, I also think, why did I, I, I wish I'd got here earlier. I wish I understood this earlier. Do, do, you, know, do you know, but I completely, under, I completely relate to this. It's, it came up time and time again with the glass wall. And I think, you know, with oh. our new belonging, kind of, we talk about this as, as not just a gendered thing, but also yeah. you know, many underrepresented groups do this but also I've definitely done it myself I've been called I've been headhunted for top roles and kind of you know started off by saying well of course I haven't got experience in this this and this whereas what I'm actually thinking is I'd be I'd ace this I'm I'm so good at it you know but that's not the words that come out of my mouth the words that come out of my mouth is I'd need this this and this and so telling yourself to shut up and to zip it I think is really good advice and I'm always saying to people just go for it because What's the worst, as you say, what's the worst that can happen? But also I realised that the people that were going for these jobs, they had all the insecurities that I had as well, but they didn't, they didn't say, please, just let, please, let, yeah, yeah, why, you know, and, and, and I think women have got this thing, you know, I, I kind of say we, we were grew up with a kind of, maybe our era, not now, but men asked you to dance, men asked you to marry them, and you kind of think that people are going to give you, I think there's this little princess syndrome, I think I thought that, if I work really, really hard, people will notice it. Well, they don't. So I've learned to dump that 
and be more overt and just to be, you know, say the words and don't don't apologise for saying the words and be be a bit more male, I guess, or not or direct. Maybe it's not male. The other thing that I thought somebody said to me, which I thought was a wonderful expression, I think business has become more feminised now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really amazing shift. You know, it was very macho. It's, and now, it, it's in certain areas. I, I, yeah, I feel, I feel there's lots more listening and there's lots more being okay to be vulnerable and okay to not have the answers and, you know, you don't have to be the big strong leader. You can be, you can ask people what they think, you know, and so, yeah. Some really powerful and useful and insightful things there, Ita. I think some really, really powerful things that a lot of people are going to get a lot of things out. Thank you. I mean, taking it back to zoology, though, what, and you're obviously leading, you're a media boss now. What responsibilities do we have in media to help protect the environment, do you think? I mean, that's just, everyone has, I mean, it's just such a basic, everyone has every, I don't think it's anything to do with media, I just kind of, I mean, I've, I've, I got a, a litter picker for my, for my birthday present. <laughs> I've picked up more dog poo in plastic bags belonging to other dogs. You know, I just think it's it's fundamental that we set a good example, that we're sustainable. But there's a lot of talk, isn't there? I think it just comes down to, you know, there's this corporate kind of. I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not a big fan of lots of corporate words. I think it's what you do that matters. You know, pick up pick up after other people. Ask for a litter thingy for your birthday for Christmas. You know, pick up other people's crap and be sensible about what you're doing. I do worry about plastic and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I don't I don't really have a a sort of philosophical answer to the question. I just think it's a common sense one really. What would you have said to yourself on your first day at Carlton Publishing? Okay. Well, I have um I could say for somebody who didn't have a clue, no role model, I would say just go for it, don't worry about anything. Um, I think I did, I did actually, I did actually, what was the one thing I thought about, what I would say? Um, I've written here, you're going to exceed your wildest dreams, enjoy the ride. I mean, really, and, and I really... I, I walk about three times a day. The first walk of the day is gratefulness. I go around and I just, I just, I give thanks for everything that I have. And as I'm nearing, I think I'm in the autumn of my life, I was saying, I've started to think about highlights per, per decade. And it's quite an interesting way to kind of look at your life as what has been good by decade and what can be good still going forward into, into the next decade. And I just think, such humble beginnings. I mean, I was one of nine. I was the, uh, we were an immigrant family in from Ireland. Mm. Um, Karen Blackett and people will know that in the 50s, uh, London was not the most hospitable place with landladies yeah. with no blacks, no Irish, no dogs yeah. in their windows. My, we got a window, we got a brick through our window when we moved into our uh-huh. lovely neighbourhood. Friendly bunch. Well, and um, even in the 80s, it was a difficult time to be of Irish descent. Yes. In London. Very. And there was the IRA thing, everyone. I mean, we had, my dad was an Irish council, was a, sorry, a Labour councillor. 
and uh, he got we got a bomb threat and he was um i didn't know why he was telling me how to get out of the house through a window in the in the top floor if anything if the house should yeah. go in flames but that's what happened so um, not very long ago not very long ago we also got lots i got lots and lots of irish jokes you know so it was it was considered it was considered funny in the 70s and 80s to portray irish people as stupid which it came. was broadcast television on saturday night completely right. completely and and i remember being in the pub with this i lived in a very um working class area we went to good schools you know not not you know state schools um and i there i was i'd been studying for my a levels and and education in my family was the way out that's what we were going to do and i remember popping around the pub and it's our local horrible place and I'd been studying for my A-levels for about 14 hours, and I spoke to this guy, and he said, the thing about the Irish, right, the thing about the Irish <laughs> is they're thick. And I thought, wow, <laughs> they are, aren't they? So, yeah, it's different discrimination, but there was there was quite a lot of um, discrimination. And so, yeah, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed I am where I am. I'm really grateful. I'm I think humble. it's really important that, at the moment as well, to be grateful for the small things. Yeah, I'm really grateful. And they're not small either. I mean, I just think, God, I can walk. You know, I've got yes, friends that, who have got that, MS who can't even... Yeah. yeah, just, you know, just just to feel very grateful. Very grateful. That's very good to hear at a time when some people are going, oh my God, I was going to go to lunch with so-and-so and now I'm not sure if I can. So it's very good to hear that kind mm. of antidote. Mm. Or, yeah, mm. let's be grateful for the health mm. and Mm. Sure. Right, so we're on to the regular questions we ask all our guests so we can compare and contrast. So can I ask you your favourite line from a poem, a song or a book? Well, I've got two two songs. I'm going to ask I you to choose one line. Oh, two. Tell us both. Okay, Very I'll tell you both, but I'll choose, you, I'll choose one. Uh, the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. Indeed. I tell myself, I soothe myself with that a lot. And the other one that's got me through the most difficult of times is Bob Marley, uh, Don't Worry About a Thing. And I sing it, and I sing it, and I sing it, and I self-soothe myself if something's really bad. And it, uh, I find it very uplifting. It really works. That's my thing. So which one are you going to choose? Bob Marley. And it's, it's the line, Don't Worry About a Thing, Every Little Thing's Don't Worry About a Thing, right. Every Little Thing's Going to Be All Right. If you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you? Uh, decent chocolate, preferably. Oh, yes. Is that dark chocolate? No, I'm I'm not that sophisticated. Okay. I've written, I've, I've I've tried. It's green and black's almond milk chocolate, please. Okay. Yep. Uh, I would have my tennis racket. Absolutely love tennis. I would have my lime green sea kayak, 15 foot kayak. Okay. <laughs> I would put my bike, so I'm about to be a proud owner of an electric mountain bike because I can't be bothered with hills. Yep. And a pile of decent books. Just general, whatever Dece- we choose. Uh, well, I, I'm, I, what, what, I like, what, like fiction, non-fiction? Fiction, fiction. Well, I have a bit of both, but I like, I really like fiction. I really like, um, Sort of Anne Tyler, uh, Anne Pratchett. I quite like that. You know, that's a female, well-written, in understanding human relationship kind of story. A selection of, of that. That's yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, 
Can we have a library card? I'm not a fan of the pile of books because <laughs> that is multiple things. Because you're not there. It's oh, not I there for a pile. Oh, a it's there for a, a good book. A good book. I have to have a good book. A good book that you haven't read yet. Yes. No. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Uh, so we're, we've been locked in our houses, uh, assuming all living things are giving you comfort, but what three non-living things are giving you comfort in these, these crazy times? I'm, I'm very lucky I live in a village, and so the countryside, or there's a kind of a, uh, call it a common, I'm not even sure what you call it a common, there's a couple of fields that are, and I walk them, I've got, I've got deep, deep That's paths. not really a thing in the house, is it though? I was in the house. In the oh, house. Oh, yeah. looking for specific objects like a painting or a specific object. You know, oh, okay. Good furniture. Um, or well, a hot water bottle. Okay. My hot water bottle. I really got into my hot water bottle with COVID. That became um, that became it's, it's, really it's a little bundle of joy, isn't it? A hot water yeah, bottle. A hot water bottle. Fresh flowers. Conscious that we sound like we're 110, but yeah. <laughs> Fresh flowers, which you can see some beautiful roses behind you. I just, I just need. And I guess my pictures, I have lots of, I have lots of, my pictures are getting wackier as I bought my husband a print of a giant cow, a cow's face for his, for his birthday. Okay. Um, <laughs> or maybe, or maybe my conservatory. I have, I love, I have a conservatory with a, where I can sit in the sun and get a break. Um, okay, we're going to give you the power to change the industry in one way right now. What would you do? Pay for thinkers. Cool. If we were to give you a billboard, where would you put it and what would it say? I struggle with where, but what it would say is, don't stop me now. I'm having a good time. I'm having a ball. (laughs) And that is, honestly, you talk about empty nesting. I have got so much energy. I'm loving work. I've got more space. You know, I work with people who you know my finance director's got three children and you know all these people that are juggling so much and I just I feel all my years of experience have come to this moment and it's been put to really good use and I just want to keep doing it I just That's love fantastic. it I just That's love fabulous. it it's I find work really energizing and yes. love it brilliant so. right um now the question that you cannot prepare for um, it's from the, where's it from, Andrew? The, the School of Life. Alan de Botton's School of Life. Alan de Botton's School of Life. And I'm holding up three cards. Okay. So it's kind of, uh, your the right, under, the middle, or your left. My left, please. Under That's your, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it says, why do you have the ambitions you have? Oh. I think it must be my upbringing. I grew up in a very poor family. I was on, I was on, on free school meals. I used to, I mean, get the violin out, but I had holes in my shoes, which I used to, um, block with newspaper. That's how poor we were. And I guess it gives you a, I never, ever, ever want to be back doing that. And I want to and have done provided for my children, which gives me an immense sense of joy seeing these children who don't have that and they can have coffee and brunch. And they're not brats. Believe me, they're not brats. They've worked hard and they are hardworking people. Um, So that's probably what's done that. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad for it. Yeah. I'm glad for it. Ethan, thank you. It's been a fantastic, adventurous, inspiring talk to you. So thank you very <laughs> no, much. Thank for you. Your time. That's kind of you. I appreciate that.